0: Open your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. I want to preach a simple message to you as your pastor to convince you and to encourage you and to establish you against being moved away from the hope of the gospel or ever compromising anything you know the Word of God to teach. I hope that you'll remember last Sunday when we considered a subject that I entitled Every Word of God. And we considered it by looking at eight examples of Jesus Christ and our brother Paul arguing in the Scriptures from single words, or in one case a single letter, or three words, or the voice of a verb, or a verb tense. I hope that you remember those examples because those were the examples of Jesus our Lord and of the Apostle Paul on how the word of God is to be used. Every single word of it is important and is pure and we cannot give away any of them. And we shall not by the grace of God. And the reason I wanted to preach that message last Sunday was for you to understand that our use of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, which is a unique use of it. In the earth, with all these new Bible versions that corrupt that verse in three different ways, you would understand that laying claim to every word in that verse is an apostolic method of using the Bible. I wanted you established in that, and I hope you haven't completely forgot it, in the 168 hours that transpires between Sundays, in which there are so many things that can steal away your memories and your attention. But I want you to know that we stand for every word of God, and we will not give one away, and I will not give one away as your pastor. We live in an age of compromise. Politicians have to compromise their convictions in order to win office or to pass legislation. Police have to compromise, like in the city of Cincinnati in the last month, in order to avoid riots in the streets. Employers have to compromise to keep employees from forming unions and overthrowing the authority of the master and wrecking a company's production. We live in an age of compromise. Everyone compromises. That means they modify truth to fit their own ends. They do not care about absolutes. They want general and relative ideas for how to live. The distinction between the sexes is broken down. Women are told to do what men do. Men are allowed to do what women do. The importance of authority at all levels is broken down. The flattery of children is more important than the honor of parents in this generation. We live in an age of compromise. It's politically correct today to accept anyone, regardless of their beliefs, as long as they're sincere. It's socially acceptable and fashionable not to be critical or judgmental or opinionated. And if you are judgmental or critical or opinionated, you will not be accepted socially. It is impolite and improper to bring up religious topics for discussion because you wouldn't want to find anything that you disagreed about with another. We live in an age of compromise. No one wants to stand for anything anymore. Truth is watered down. Truth is fallen in the streets, as the word of God would declare. Billy Graham and Jack Van Impey, early in their ministries, were both what are called fundamentalists. They stood opposed to the Roman Catholic Church, modernism, and the daughters of the Roman Catholic Church. Now they're both treating the Pope as if he's Peter or Paul. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're behind times. They both esteem him as the greatest Christian on earth. Jerry Falwell, another ex-fundamentalist, treats Robert Shuler like a brother in the Lord. Robert Shuler is no brother to a Baptist. James Dobson, Bill Gothard, and the Promise Keepers all bring together as many faiths as they can cram into one place to have communion at times and fellowship at others. They don't care by what name you're called. Be a Jehovah's Witness, or be a Baptist. It doesn't matter, because what we're preaching, there won't be any lines of division drawn here. Because it's acceptable to everyone, no matter what you believe. We live in an age of compromise. The Apostle Paul was not anything like that. Amen. Nor was our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, man. Nor was Elijah, right. or Moses, or any of the great men of God that the Bible tells us about. Women preach. Lesbians marry. Churches rent televisions for Super Bowl Sunday. We live in an age of compromise. Casual worship is the rage. Contemporary worship is to be cutting edge in serving the Lord. Churches advertise, even in our own city, on giant billboards. If you come back, We promise we won't throw the book at you. That is sick. But it's in our city. We have over 400 Baptist churches in a county of only 400,000 people. That's incredible. And yet we have Baptist churches with billboards like that. That was the first Baptist church of Malden, and they deserve the attention in this sermon to a few people for putting that billboard up. If you'll come back, we won't we promise not to throw the book at you. And that means the word of God. We won't require anything from your lives, so come on back and join the Baptist Social Club of Malden. That is having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof Amen. in its fullest sense. We live in an age of compromise. According to information I was given last night, the First Baptist Church of our city of Greenville this week decided to put up for discussion whether they would require baptism in order to be a church member. The First Baptist Church of Greenville. Not that they'll require any mode of baptism, but is baptism required for church membership? Musical instruments. Holidays, Sunday schools, and a thousand other inventions are accepted as if the apostles ordained them. No one even questions them anymore. They say we have to modify the message in order to meet the masses. The truth is they're modifying the messages to multiply the money. Right. It's very simple to watch them. Satan is almost one, my brethren. Jesus Christ said when he was on earth, he said when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. I hope and I pray and I am working and I'm preaching this morning that he'll find it here in the city of Greenville because of you. I want to teach you the fear of the Lord this morning about compromising. Let me give you, this is simple. The children can listen to this. God does not allow you to play with his commandments. Amen. God does not allow you to change His Word. And so I want to look at a number of examples and just let us be reminded of how sober it is to serve the true and the living God. He is not a God of our own creation that we can modify at will. He is a God that is absolute and He's a despot of the highest order. He is jealous and He will not give His glory to another and He will not allow anyone, no matter how sincere their heart or how precious their feelings, nor how many of their family they get together to compromise, modify, or alter His Word. Amen. He is an autocratic ruler of the highest magnitude. He has declared and He will not allow His Word to be modified. Let's look at some of His statements to begin with. Deuteronomy chapter 4, And verse 2, verse 1 has told Israel, let's get verse 1. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. I have this morning already told you about the first Baptist church of Malden that says we will not throw the book at you. That means they're going to diminish from the word of God. Do you understand that? They're going to diminish from the commandments and the judgments of the Lord God on how Christians are to live in order to increase their numbers. We also... I also told you about the First Baptist Church of Greenville, that is not going to require baptism for church membership. That's diminishing from the commandments of God. Brethren, we must understand that the Lord God, when He gives commandments, He wants you to know, don't you dare turn to the left, and don't you dare turn to the right hand. Amen. But do exactly what I've said and observed to do it. Right. Let's turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, we could read a long time if we read all of God's sober warnings to the nation of Israel, just in the book of Deuteronomy. I want to give you a couple though, the rest will be in the outline. Deuteronomy five, thirty-two: ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now in Deuteronomy 4, he said don't add and don't subtract. Right. In Deuteronomy 5, he says don't turn to the left or the right. Do exactly as I say. You say that's too demanding. Then you need another church, and another religion. Brethren, either we are Bible Christians or we are not Bible Christians. Right. If we are Bible Christians, then we're going to esteem every word of God as being pure, as I taught you last Sunday, and we're going to argue from every word, and keep every word, and we're going to keep His commandments without adding or subtracting or turning to either hand. If we're not going to do that, then let's give up on being Christians or Bible anything. And we can reclaim a day of the week. You can have one-seventh of your time increased because you won't have to come here. You won't have to worship God. You can play all day on Sunday. Just think of that having another whole day for yourself if we're not going to be Bible Christians. And Bible Christians are those that are going to believe the Bible and we're going to look at verses like this and believe it that we cannot turn, that we must follow God exactly in what He requires of us as a church and as individuals. Turn to Psalm 119 and verse 128. Most of you can quote it from the inside out, I hope, but I still want everyone to see it, including our children. Children, you are able to understand the verses I just read. If God gives us a commandment, we don't turn to the left or the right. We don't add to it. And we don't take away from it. When a church says they're not going to throw the book at you anymore, that means they're going to take away from God's commandments. When a church says you don't have to be baptized in order to be a church member, they're taking away from God's commandments. Right. They're in violation of the Word of God. I don't care how many they have in their services this morning, nor how big their annual budget is nor how many flowers they have at the altar for Mother's Day. They're violating the Word of God. They're sinning in their Baptist churches. And it's a shame, and it's a disgrace, and a sad day in the history of the world when so many Baptist churches have compromised in so many ways. Psalm 119, verse 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, And I hate every false way. Before I get done with this memory program, you won't need to turn to it. Because you'll all know it. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. That is the spirit of a Christian. That is the spirit-filled attitude of a Christian. If you don't hate every false way, you are not being taught by the Spirit of God. It is not that we like to hate. The Spirit just teaches us to hate everything that is contrary to God. Amen. And those two bill, that billboard and that ruling in the city of Greenville this past week are things that we ought to hate and despise. Now you say, that's all the Old Testament. Okay, let's go to the last chapter of the New Testament and see if we can't find something similar there. I hope that no one in this assembly is so deceived to think that God is one whit different under the New Testament, than He was under the Old. Do you know what the book of Hebrews tells us? He's much more severe under the New than He was the Old. Right. For if they escape not, who disobeyed Moses' commandment, how much more shall not we escape? Is one statement, and there's several just like it, in the book of Hebrews. Here's what Jesus Christ closed out the whole Bible with, in the last chapter, almost the last verses of the Bible, verses 18 and 19 of Revelation 22, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now, is that a sober enough warning about adding to or taking away from the word of God, including the book of prophecy of Revelation? It doesn't matter whether it's Moses or John. We get the same message. We don't add to or take away from God's words. Amen. My brethren, what happened in the day that Eve took a piece of fruit and ate of it and gave it to her husband? And he did eat of it. This is how severe God is. The examples that we have in the Word of God are so absolute and so severe. What happened? Adam, Eve, their children, their children, their children, and their children, and their children, all the way down to you, 150 billion, were condemned to an eternity in hell For eating a piece of fruit. You say that is just totally unfair and ridiculously extreme. That is the word of God. And if we lose sight of that, let's not go to Genesis chapter 3 this morning for some doctrinal consideration. Let's not go there for some historical fact. Let's go there for the practical application of how serious God is about His commandments. He said, don't eat of that tree. You may eat of every tree of the garden, but don't eat of that tree. They ate, and 150 billion descendants received an eternity in hell fire forever and ever for eating that piece of fruit. I know what's happening to your minds. I've just overloaded them. You cannot comprehend that kind of justice. But that's the example that's given to us. Before we hardly get started reading his word. How about a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 7? How many living things that had breath in their nostrils survived the flood? Outside of the ark. None. Men, women, boys, girls, babies, old people, every animal, whether it was a pet or ready for the slaughtering house, drowned in the flood. God suffocated them to death with water because they were evil. This is how much God hates sin. They sinned. This is the consequence. Not only was there eternal damnation waiting for them, but he wouldn't even let them live out their lives in peace, and he didn't even take them peacefully from natural causes in bed. He suffocated them to death with water. Come over to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. Children, you can stay with me today. Just keep turning in your Bibles. We're going to look at examples of how serious it is to worship God. It's serious. You don't play around with the living God. He's given us His glorious word for which we ought to be incredibly thankful. Every single verse of it and every single word of it. Genesis chapter 9, verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, one of Noah's sons, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan! A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren." And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. An entire race of people, whether you make it a national race or a racial race, make it any race you wish. Cause that's not my point. My point is one man compromised the honor and respect due to his father when he was lying naked in a tent and God judged all of his descendants. Do you know what Israel did to the descendants of Canaan? Wiped them, Wipe them out, man, woman, child, utterly. For what? Just a little compromise. Surely it wasn't that bad. Surely Noah could have just whipped his son. Couldn't he have just whipped him? This is the word of the Lord with example after example of how serious it is. Right. I have preached to you in the last year about the golden calf, so I'm going to pass it. I've got so many that I could be here for hours and days, but I'm just going to give, take one Sunday, just once, because I want to remind you that compromise is not accepted by God. Right. That son made a choice when he went in that tent and saw his father naked. He may have gone in that tent knowing his father was naked. We don't know the details. God doesn't give them to us, and speculating on the details will cause you to miss the lesson. Right. The lesson is compromise in a matter like that is enough to damn all of your descendants by the judgment of God. Look at Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus. I know when, though, when you're reading through your Bibles every year, if you do that, and I commend those who do, and encourage those who don't that they ought to, by whatever means you use to get through it, there is some prophet in the book of Leviticus And I want to read you one of those examples right now. Leviticus chapter 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron. Right. Are they related to Moses? Nephews. Sons of Aaron. Took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord. All that means is, is they offered incense before the Lord that was not commanded. When the Bible addresses women in the book of Proverbs as being a strange woman, that means a woman that you're not married to or have any right to. That's a strange woman. Strange fire is incense that God hadn't commanded, which he commanded them not. It was strange. It was something they had worked up themselves. It was an innovation. It was a modification. It was something new and exciting. It was so much better than the old way. The people will love this. And we love it. And don't you feel good about it already, brother? Yes, I do. We are worshiping God in such a better way than that old-fashioned, stodgy way of Moses and Aaron. And there went out fire from the Lord... And devoured them and they died before the Lord. Can you all read that verse? Amen. Can nine year old girls read that verse? Leviticus chapter ten and verse two? Fire went out from the presence of the Lord and devoured them. Now, how well did God take to their innovation and their modification? Strange fire. Did they have the right to the office of priest? Yes. Were they at the right tabernacle? Yep. Did they did does God like incense? Does he like fire? Were they ordained? Were they trying to worship God? They weren't doing it. It doesn't say they were doing it before an idol. It was to the Lord. But they didn't do it the right way. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord. Brethren, we live in a time where what I'm preaching right now as if a man was in quicksand. And the more he struggles, the more he sinks. Because you don't have a clue about such a God unless By faith, you listen to these words. Amen. We live in an age where compromise is constant. Modifications are made on every hand. Inventions abound. You can't imagine a God being this strict because you've never met anyone else this strict. You've never seen a king that's strict. You've never had a teacher that's strict. You haven't had parents that are strict because when was the last time you saw a stoning for disobeying your parents? This is hard to understand. But by faith, you must humble yourself before the word of God and realize if God has commanded us something, we are not going to change it. We are going to defend it and we will die for it. God helping us. Dying for it is easy. Living for it is the hard part. Look at this. Moses said unto Aaron in verse 3, Moses to Aaron. Now wait a minute, brethren. A man's just lost two of his sons. Do you think Moses came over and put his arms around him and said, I'm so sorry, brother. I want, look what Moses said. Right. Moses said unto Aaron, this is that the Lord spake saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Aaron did not say a word. Moses called some men to come and pick those two bodies up and haul them out of the camp. And then, a, then an edict was ordered, there is not to be any grieving for these two men. There is to be no sorrow shown because they offered strange fire before the Lord. Strange fire before the Lord. Right. But it's the Lord's church. doesn't matter if it's the Lord's church or not. You don't know if it's the Lord's church Anyway. How do you know the candlestick wasn't taken away from those two first Baptist churches about 125 years ago? No grief. This is that. God wants to be sanctified. That means to be set apart as holy, that everything we do is holy and according to his scriptures In everything that is done before his presence. Numbers chapter 14, 10 spies came back. Numbers chapter 14, 10 spies came back. And they said, the land is beautiful. We agree with Joshua and Caleb, but it's too hard. There's giants there. And we were as grasshoppers in their sight and in our own sight. And so they didn't take the land that God told them to take. And so while they stood there, when they got done, and the people agreed with the ten spies, God simply sent a plague to destroy the ten spies in the spot. And then God said, I'm going to kill the rest of you over the next 40 years because you wouldn't do it with my timing. They said, we repent. We've sinned. They put on their swords and they went up to take the land of Canaan. But God was no longer with them because he had sworn in his wrath, you shall not enter into my land of rest. And he killed every single one of them, except Joshua and Caleb, two faithful men. They compromised. They wouldn't take the land of God when God told them to take it, and they all died for it. Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. Korah thinks it isn't fair for Moses to be the leader of Israel. Listen to his words. His words are spoken in almost every church in the world at one time or another. Korah gets together with Izhar and Dathan and Abiram. No, Korah gets together with Dathan and Abiram and on. And they come together with 250 men who have great reputations in the nation of Israel. There's 253 of them, four of them. And they gather themselves together against Moses and against Aaron in verse 3 of Numbers 16 and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them, Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. We're holy too. We've got the Spirit too. What are you doing putting yourself up over the Lord's people? The whole congregation is holy. Why are you acting like you have the right to teach and to dictate terms? We're holy too. You take too much on yourselves. It happens in every church from time to time. Deacons love to say it. Deacons love to say it. Deacons love to remind a pastor that they have the Spirit too. It's just that the Spirit didn't give them any gifts, is the problem. It's a shame that words are ever spoken like this. Let me tell you how God dealt with the problem. He didn't bring out an ordination certificate and say, See, I've chosen Moses. He just opened up the earth so that it swallowed Korah and Dathan, and Abiram, and their wives, and their children, and the Bible wants you to know their little children, and their animals, and their pet dogs, and their kitty cats, all were swallowed alive by the earth. And fire came out from his presence and devoured the 250 men. My point is not to defend the ministry this morning. I'll do that when that's called for. My point this morning is God doesn't allow compromise. Amen. Those words are spoken in every church. We don't want a dictatorial pastor. We don't want a pastor who preaches authoritatively. We don't want a pastor who stands for anything. We want a friendly guy that'll make us all happy. I mean, after all, we're all spiritual. Don't we all get our chance in the pulpit? Can't we all be Sunday school teachers? We're all gifted. That's a modern heresy today. Ephesians chapter 4 is interpreted, and he gave some pastors and teachers for the work. I want to read it to you to show you a heresy that exists today in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to get the He gave some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That a minister's goal is to perfect all the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry to edify the rest of the church. That is the common interpretation of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 today. Pastors were given in verse 11 in order to perfect the rest of the saints, for them to have their own ministries and to do that work for the edifying of the body of Christ. All three of the statements in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 apply to the office of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. It has nothing to do with the membership. He's The the gifts are under discussion. The minister is to do all three of those things. All you have to do is study the rest of the New Testament. He's God's workman. But there they are. They've already corrupted Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 because they want to give, every, give everyone a, minute, a ministry. Now they've got ministry of art, ministry of music, ministry of youth, ministry of the old folks home, minister this, minister that. They're so ignorant. They're so ignorant. I wish that they would just sit down and read the IRS code. Because if they would just read the IRS code, they would find out that all of those are Mickey Mouse gimmicks and not true ministers of Jesus Christ. It was wonderful this past April, last month, to sit down and read the IRS code because the IRS code knows exactly what a minister of Jesus Christ is. It has tax provisions to support and enhance the preachers of the gospel in this country. And therefore, all these churches have come up with these gimmicks And they call this man a minister of music and this man a minister of youth. And the IRS code, if you go read it, will tell you that none of those offices count because they're all Mickey Mouse gimmicks. And they know that. And they ask a couple of questions. They want to know, were you ordained by other ministers of the gospel to be a minister of the gospel? In the IRS code. And then they ask... Do you have the authority by your ordination to administer the ordinances of your church in the IRS code? Isn't it a shame that some of these Baptist preachers couldn't read the IRS code? Because they do the same thing that Korah and these men did in Numbers chapter 16. And they were swallowed alive. God said, because of what they've done, let me show a new thing in the earth. I'm going to show a new thing about how a man can die. The earth will simply open up and swallow them. And brethren, there was a scream that went up when that happened. What would your family do? Would it scream? It says the whole nation of Israel ran away as fast as they could because of the screams that were coming from those that were falling into the abyss that was opened by the mighty hand of an absolute despot named the living and true God, who does not allow compromise with the officers he puts over his people. Do you know what happened the next day? Hmm. Israel began to murmur and grieve over the 254 that had been killed. God sent a pestilence straight out from his presence that killed 14,700 of them. You can read it in the rest of Numbers chapter 16. And if it wasn't for Moses and Aaron begging for their lives, the Lord would have destroyed them all. Turn to Numbers chapter 15. Verse 32, Numbers 15. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward because it was not declared what should be done to him. A man was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Come on, brethren. He was just picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. And the Lord said unto Moses, Verse 35, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones that he died, as the Lord commanded Moses. This wasn't hid away in some secret chamber of some prison in Oklahoma, Indiana, Indiana. Texas, Florida, anywhere. This was done in the open and the whole congregation stoned him to death because he picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. God does not allow compromise with his commandments. I am his ambassador. I am warning you about the terms of living in his kingdom. He doesn't allow compromise. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21. Verse 4, And they journeyed from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. They complained about manna sent from heaven. Verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Do you like snakes or not? Do you like biting snakes? Do you like fiery biting snakes? Do you like fiery biting poisonous snakes? How many people died? And much people of Israel died, because they murmured against their conditions, Lord, help us. There is no compromise with this God. And if you think he's different today, may I remind you that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How do you think he'll ever hold the final judgment? Some people sound like he's going to be forced to it. The final judgment is his greatest glory because it's going to manifest his wrath and his power on the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction and it will manifest his glory and his mercy on the vessels of mercy of four prepared into glory. It's his greatest hour. Where he will display to the universe his magnificent nature. Don't think he's changed. Turn to Joshua chapter 7. Oh, I can't go there yet. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 24. What do they call fornication today? Isn't it called making love? Called that in the Bible, too. By strange women and whores. It's called making love. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers 25. Excuse me, Numbers 25. Verse 1 and Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. They were making love. They were falling in love with the daughters of Moab. They were all excited. They were having a wonderful time. Look at these wonderful neighbors of ours. My son's found a wonderful girl. She's lovely. And the Lord said in verse 4, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Take all the leaders of this people and hang them in the sun, that it might turn away my anger for their lovemaking, their whoredom their fornication. And so they did it. And then there was a man, when I've told you the story of Phinehas before, when I preached to you a sermon entitled righteous indignation against sin, Phinehas went into a tent and he stabbed through a man and a woman who were committing whoredom. And the Lord stopped the plague and the Lord blessed that man forever. He didn't compromise. The rest of the congregation stood there weeping. What's there to weep about? When there's love, when there's whoredom going on, there isn't any room for it. May God help us to be as Phinehas. In Joshua chapter seven, God said, destroy the city of Jericho and take nothing. A man named Achan took a few things. What happened to Achan? He confessed. Isn't that good enough? As long as you confess your sins or your faults, won't the Lord have mercy? Won't he cover compromise? Sometimes he will. Sometimes he won't. You say, I thought there's forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, there's forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ, but that doesn't mean he still won't take your life. What did they do to Josh, to uh, Achan? They stoned him and burned him. Who would they stone and burn along with him? His family. And everything that he had. Stoned him and burned him. 1 Samuel chapter 6. 1 Samuel chapter 6. God can swear in his wrath, brethren. And when God swears in his wrath, there's no temporal forgiveness. The whole book of Hebrews is about that fact. If you go back and turn away from the truth of the gospel and go back in under the law of Moses, you crucify the Son of God afresh, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. But a fearful looking for of certain judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. First Samuel chapter 6. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines. God got it back rather quickly with a few physical ailments that bothered that nation for a while and their God continually wanting to worship before the Ark of the Covenant. Yep. Amen. But then that the milk kind that are picked to bring that Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, stop in a town called Bethshemesh. Now, brethren, they were a little curious in Beth Shemesh. Maybe they were just looking to see if everything was still inside. Maybe they just wanted to make a little money by selling it as a tourist attraction. But the men of Bethshemesh thought they would look inside the Ark of the Covenant of God. It was just a little box. It wasn't that big. It was just a little box. It was four and a half feet long and one and a half feet high and one and a half feet wide. And it had a couple cherubim on the top. But they looked inside. They compromised. They looked inside the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 19, "...he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the Ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people fifty thousand and three score and ten men." And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. Because they compromised with the Ark of the Covenant. David wanted to bring that Ark of the Covenant into its resting place. And he tried to move it, but he forgot to carry it on the priest's shoulders. That Ark was to move only one way. With rods put through rings that were on the side of that Ark and carried on the shoulders of priests. They didn't carry it that way. And a man named Uzzah reached out to touch that ark while it was being transported on a brand new ox cart. I love their zeal, don't you, brethren? A brand new ox cart. They wanted to give the Lord the best. So they put it on a new ox cart. But a man reached forth to steady it when it was trembling like it might fall off. Now isn't that a good motive? And the Lord killed him. David was having a wonderful parade. The people were rejoicing because they were bringing the ark up into its resting place. And God rained on that parade and killed a man because they did not move it, according to 1 Chronicles 15, 13, after the due order. Because there is a due order way of doing things. They didn't do it after the due order. And so a man died in the middle of a wonderful parade worshiping God. He didn't overlook it. David sinned horribly. When he was confronted about his sin, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And the Lord said, you're forgiven. This is an example of the point that I was making earlier. You're forgiven. Did people still die over it? A baby died. A baby died because of David's sin. Any other problems? Absalom tormented David the rest of his life. David had to flee away from Jerusalem. David's own wives were taken by his own son. It was a horrible mess. The sins in that family were unbelievable. They continued on into the reign of Solomon because of David's sin. David compromised, and look what happened. David numbered Israel. Is there anything wrong with the census? What What's wrong with the census? God told his nation of Israel, don't you ever count your army. Because if you count your army, then I know you'll go into battle putting your confidence in the number of men you have, when your confidence and your trust ought to be in the Lord. And so the Lord stirred up David to number Israel. How many men died because of that transgression? 70,000 men. 70,000. Our entire campaign in Vietnam only cost 58,000. 70,000 died from a plague from the Lord's hand because David compromised the word of God. The word of God said, don't you dare count. And Joab warned him not to count, but he counted anyway and 70,000 men died. How about a little disrespect to a prophet? What happened to 42 children? Would God ever touch a child? Well, if you were still asking the question, you didn't think about Adam and Eve, the flood, and most of the other illustrations that I've given you. What about, a, what about some children who teased a prophet of God for being bald? Two she-bears came out because the Lord that prophet cursed them in the name of the Lord, and the Lord honored that curse, and two she-bears came out and tore 42 of those children because they made fun of a man of God. Yeah, but they were just teasing him about his bald head, and he was bald. Forty-two children were torn by two she-bears. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. 2 Chronicles 26. And then you hear people say all sorts of things. Why are you so hung up on doctrine? I just want to worship Jesus. Oh, that sounds so Pious so spiritual, but it's rebellion. It's rebellion because Jesus is worshiped by obeying his commandments. He right. said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. He didn't say, if you love me, get excited about me. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But they'll say, why do you get so hung up on doctrine? I've been to your church and I just couldn't feel the spirit there. I'll remind them that two weeks ago we had a visitor here who said that I gave him Holy Ghost goosebumps. Brethren, I wanted to call the man that ordained me and tell him about my progress in preaching. Who gives a, who, who gives a rip about feelings? Right. I've got one person saying that I gave him Holy Ghost goosebumps. And I got others saying I couldn't feel the Spirit there. Do you know what? God never told us in one place to look for any of those feelings. Right. He told us to keep my commandments, and he'll give us the feelings. He'll fill our hearts with joy. You don't get joyful outside of God's commandments. You get joyful in doing God's commandments. That He would show them to us. That we would know them. That we would have a desire for them. That's enough for joy right there. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, a king that God blessed abundantly. God blessed him so greatly. Look at the last part of verse fifteen. Second Chronicles twenty-six, fifteen, and his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. This king's name was Isaiah. Verse sixteen But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. There was one tribe that was to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And what was that tribe? Levi Levi and the priests of that tribe. And Azariah the priest went in after him and with him four score priests of the Lord that were valiant men. Can you imagine this scene? A king that has been blessed by God to be very great. His reputation was spread far abroad. And he's standing there, and there's 80 valiant priests wanting to protect the integrity of God. And they withstood Isaiah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Isaiah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Is it right for a man to stand up and tell a king? You have trespassed against the Lord. You're trespassing. Get out of here. Amen. And he should have turned and run and begged God for mercy. Then Isaiah was wroth. He wasn't used to being told what to do. And had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And they thrust him out. He had, in, he had leprosy in his face. This is the Lord God that we worship because he compromised. God made him king, but king and priest are not equal terms. We don't get confused. We don't get confused by saying, well, God has made us kings and priests. Do you know what that verse is used for in the New Testament to do things just like this? Since God has made all of us kings and priests without regard to sex, that means that women can be preachers. This king thought because he was a king and because God had blessed him that he could go in and offer incense. And God put leprosy in his face. And God is going to do the same thing directly, indirectly, now or in eternity to all those who think that because they're kings and priests, that women can be preachers. It is the same sin. It is transgressing an office they have no right to. You say, those are all from the Old Testament. God's totally different. What happened to a man and his wife who came into church and gave a huge offering to the apostles? They fell down dead right there. Right. They were slain in the spirit. Yeah. They were slain by the spirit. Right. Because they had lied to the Holy Ghost. Though they brought a great offering to the right place, to the right church, God killed them on the spot. Ananias and Sapphira, 11 verses, Acts chapter 5, dedicated to their demise And fear came upon all the church. And the reason I'm preaching this morning is for fear to come upon all of us so that we are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, but that we earnestly contend for every word and every aspect of it. How many were sick, weakly, and dead at the church in Corinth? Many. Many. Not just a few? Not one? Yes, that's correct. That's the right word. Many were sick, weakly, and dead in the church at Corinth. For what? Were they keeping the Lord's Supper? Yep, yep. Yes. Were they using wine? Y- yes. Can we presume they were using unleavened bread? Yes. But they were compromising in the way they were observing it. So the Lord killed them in the New Testament, many of them. 1 Corinthians 11:30. His definition of truth is narrow, my brethren. His definition of truth is very narrow. If it's not his way, it's not truth at all. Amen. Right. He would say, if they speak not according to my word, there is no light in them. Right. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20. When Cain came to the right place at the right time with an offering for the Lord, the Lord said, if you'll do well, I'll accept it. If you won't do well, sin lies at the door. You have to bring the offering I want. I don't care how happy you are about your grain. I don't care if you're a farmer and you keep grain and you raise grain. I don't care. I don't care if it's prettier than the blood of a sacrificed sheep. I don't care. Do it my way or there's going to be sin. Cain did it the wrong way. Right there in Genesis chapter 4. And he was rejected of God. And we're told where he is today in the New Testament. Jesus said, look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. The definition of truth according to God is very narrow. We have to obey it exactly. We want to obey it exactly. We're thankful that he's shown us even these examples to keep us sober about obeying his commandments. Amen. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Those words don't allow you to add or to subtract. You must teach everything, all things, and you must teach the things that he did command. You can't subtract. You can't add. It's exactly what Jesus taught. Must be taught to disciples of Christ. To have a billboard in this city that says, We'll not throw the book at you? Why don't they just write up there, we're go- we're- We are rebelling against Jesus Christ and his commandment. Come and worship with us. Amen. It's horrible. Jesus told the woman of Samaria, You don't know what you're worshiping. She said, well, the Jews say that worship's supposed to be in Jerusalem. Jesus said, they're not going to be worshiping him there either. For the Father seeketh such to worship him that worship him in spirit and in truth. That's a pretty narrow definition. He rules out the Samaritans, and he rules out the Jews, and he didn't feel sorry for either group. He said the Father is seeking true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. There is no room for any other Mohammed or Mahatma Gandhi or anyone else in this universe. There's only the Lord Jesus Christ. He is totally central and there's nothing else. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no compromise with any other group that has anyone else that even competes with him. There is no salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Amen. It's so tempting, brethren, to want to compromise. It is so tempting. It is a weakness of our flesh that wants to water down the gospel enough to get those that are close to us into fellowship with us. But as you can see from the Word of God, close doesn't count. Right. A lot of those men were close. They were worshiping the Lord. They had the right office. They were bringing a sacrifice. Ananias and Sapphira had the right Lord, the right apostles, and they were bringing money. But close doesn't count. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed, This is the Apostle Paul. If you ever hear anything different than what I've taught you, let him be a curse that preaches it, even if it's me. Even if it's an angel. Because he says in verses 6 and 7, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. It's not truly another gospel because it's not a gospel at all. It's a perversion. But if you hear anything different than what I've preached to you, let him be accursed. And in case you missed it in verse 8, as this letter was being read in the churches of Galatia, he repeated himself in verse 9. As we said before in verse 8, so say I now again, here in this verse, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. This is where we must stand, brethren. We cannot modify anything. And if the Lord shows us more, we'll not modify it. We'll keep all his commandments that he shows us. When Nehemiah found some that had married, unbelievers, mixed marriages, Nehemiah chapter 13, he contended with them. He smote them, he cursed them, and he pulled their hair, and he made them swear against what they had done. Now that's zeal. That's not compromising. Compromise would be, well, maybe... They can win them. Maybe they can win them to the truth. But Nehemiah didn't allow for any such thing because God had given a commandment that we're not supposed to marry outside the Lord. Old Testament or New Testament. Was the church at Ephesus a good church? Did Paul spend three years there? Did he lay a good foundation? Are they praised highly by Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 2? For what reason was he going to take away the candlestick from that church? they left their first love. You mean all they did was compromise their passion for Christ and he would take away their candlestick? Yep. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. My favorite passage at the present time has been for a couple of months. Philippians 3 8 through 21. He is telling us how what kind of a spirit and ambition we ought to have in our Christianity toward pursuing Jesus Christ. But he has some parentheses down here in verses 18 and 19. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, is he talking about the Jews out in the street? that hated Jesus Christ? No. He's talking about members of the church at Philippi and members of the other churches of the New Testament. Many walk. I've warned you about them many times, and now I tell you about them again, even weeping, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. And what's the real definition of these enemies of the cross of Christ? who mind earthly things. Wow. You'll you'll have opportunity to hear those words again in the not-too-distant future, but I hope you heard them this morning. The God of compromise doesn't allow us to be enraptured with earthly things. And it's amazing how our little souls will make some earthly things noble and ridicule all the other earthly things that other people do so that we can be justified with our earthly thing. Right. True. If, it, if it's not the all-out, soul-out, passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ, you are minding earthly things. Right. And you are the enemies of the cross of Christ and those aren't my words and neither are they Paul's words the words of the Holy Ghost. King Saul compromised the commandment of God to utterly destroy the Amalekites and he didn't do it Oh, there's so many examples. It's in your outline. And God called that modification of the commandment like rebellion and witchcraft and idolatry, Mm -hmm. and He lost the kingdom. And God said He would not repent and give it back to him. Though Saul begged for mercy and Samuel helped him beg, there was no mercy. It was too late. Did you know that to follow Jesus Christ, you have to hate your relatives? Yep. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. If you do not hate mother and brother and sister and wife in your own life also, you cannot be his disciple. He does not allow compromise. Right. He wants your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm almost done. will turn to Numbers chapter 15. I want to show you an interesting little characteristic in Israel numbers 15 God has promised to be our father and we to be his people we love those promises but in second corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 18 where those promises are restated we are told that those promises only apply to those who separate themselves and come out from among false religion and touch not the unclean thing Those are the ones that have that promise to be his children and for him to be their father. Numbers 15, we looked at a few minutes ago. We read about the man that picked up sticks on the Sabbath day and was put to death. Now read these verses with me. I want to tell you something and I don't ever want you to forget it. The Israelites, whenever they went anywhere, could be identified because they had a fringe and a border on all their garments. It was a little ribbon of blue. A little ribbon of blue on all their outfits throughout their generations. And that little ribbon of blue was to remind them of something. And I hope to God, and I'm not going to require any ribbon of blue because then I'd be adding to the word of God. But I hope that by hearing the message this morning and reading the verses we're about to read, you'll have a ribbon of, an invisible ribbon of blue that's seen by the eye of faith. They've just stoned a man for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Verse 37 of Numbers 15. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that ye may look upon it, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them. And that ye seek not after your own heart, and your own eyes, after which ye used to go a-whoring, that ye may remember, and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God, I am the Lord your God. This is the God we worship. I hope you love him this morning. He doesn't allow any compromise. I've told you of an event this morning to remind you of the seriousness of compromising his truth. And I pray that God will have mercy upon us and I pray that you will be diligent to remember the things that you have been taught and to be passionate for truth and not to compromise a thing. Jesus Christ hasn't changed a whit. He is Jehovah God The same yesterday, today, and forever. There is a right way to worship and to serve God, and every other way is to be rejected and hated. The saints of God, which is you, are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. We are not still having things delivered to us. There has been no advancement in religion made for 2,000 years. I don't care how many seminaries of the proliferation or the literacy of the human race. There has been no advancements made in religion. In fact, there has been a horrible decay in true religion. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. It's still being delivered supposedly by the innovations of good and godly men who think they have a better idea. Did you like the verses that I just read to you from Numbers 15 that told you the little ribbon of blue was there? so that you would not seek after your own heart right. and ever be moved away from exactly what God has said, but that will remember them and will do them. The church of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Timothy 3.15, is the pillar and ground of the truth. Amen. A pillar and a foundation is what upholds the truth and supports it. Is the truth going to be found in this church a year from now, if Jesus Christ tarries? If he tarries, will it be found here 10 years from now? Will it be found here 20 years from now if there's persecution against our children and they have to give their lives for following Jesus Christ? Will the truth be found here? Brethren, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's been mindful of us. We read it this morning in our Psalm 115. He's been mindful of us and he's blessed us. Let's preserve that blessing. Let's increase that blessing by being faithful to what he's shown us. All I wanted to do this morning was to give you some thoughts that God does not allow compromise under either testament, and so we had better not. May the Lord bless us to be faithful to his holy word and to keep all of his commandments, not to add or take away from them, nor to turn to the left hand or the right hand. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.